Hey everybody, I'm here, I'm here. So my name is Andrew Krause. I co-founded InventRight with Stephen Key over 20 years ago. And uh, if you don't know why you're here or you just clicked on the link spontaneously, I'm gonna do a whole hour of Q&A on licensing your products for royalties. I see in my, see I got a light switch over there, okay. It doesn't look perfect, but hey, you guys are okay. Um, I was trying to put my headset down like this, but I tested it with my customer service manager and he said, that doesn't sound good, Andrew. I said, okay, in order to give you guys good audio quality, I will look like a geek and, and wear this headset, which I think is more important. I could take it off and go with the mic on the computer, but you guys getting good audio, I think is more important than my own vanity. So um, I'm really looking forward to this. I enjoy doing this. I think for those of you that have been watching me during, uh, I've been doing this every Wednesday for a while now. Um, you guys can tell I enjoy it. And I love your guys' questions. Um, sometimes you just get great, great questions. I'm like, okay. I don't really get new questions because I've been doing this for 20 years, but I will get variations. And I'm like, well, oh, I haven't heard that variation of that. And every once in a blue moon, I'll be like, wow, I never heard that before. Um, so I think this is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, go ahead and type your questions into the chat. And uh, I won't be able to get to everybody's question, um, but I'll get to as many as, as I can. Um, so let's let's give it a go. It's uh, 5.13 Pacific. So we're going to go to uh, 6.10 Pacific, basically an hour from now. And um, then I'm going to call it a day. It's been a long day for me. But I know doing this is going to get me re-energized. So... Um, does everybody know what licensing is? I mean, it's it's basically, I'll just uh, do a 30-second thing here. It's, it's not selling. It's renting or leasing your idea to a big company, and it will be their money, not yours, their workforce, not yours, and their existing distribution, not yours. In other words, distribution meaning all the stores that they're in, they're going to put your product in, okay? I never know. You know, I need to go back. I never watch myself in these live streams. I don't know if I'm supposed to look right in the camera. That just freaks you guys out. Or I'm supposed to look over at the chat. I don't think you guys care. But um, anyway, let's let's go ahead and get started. Um, Saeed is, seems to be a, a regular here. Um, Saeed says, hi, I want to license my idea to an international company, which operates in over 100 countries. Um, the product has potential to be sold in all those markets. Do I need an international patent? Thanks. Um, okay, so you're probably not going to license your product and it's going to sell in 100 countries. Very few products, that's the case. Um, you might license to a multinational company, maybe a European company or American company or Canadian that happens to be in the U.S. and they happen to be in Europe as well. But thinking that your product is going to sell around the world in 100 companies is a uh, delusions of grandeur. Um, now, I always joke that when you're licensing, you can have delusions of grandeur and you're not actually delusional because if this big company has distribution in Canada, the U.S., five European countries, Australia and two African countries or something, you know, that would be insane for you to try to get that distribution to start a company. But to license to a company, a big company that has that distribution is realistic. But to think that your product's going to be in 100 countries, um, how many companies have distribution in 100 companies? Not many. Now, with that said, when you do a licensing deal, 
if the company says we want exclusive worldwide and you're like, well, you don't say this, but what you're thinking, well, I don't, they don't sell worldwide. So when you do the licensing, they go, well, I'm going to give it to you in the countries in which you sell. Is that a reasonable thing to do, Saeed? Yes. And could you then do a licensing deal in those other countries in which they're not in? Absolutely, you can. Absolutely. Uh, a lot of people will just move on to their next product because licensing in, in, in countries other than, than Europe, Australia, Canada, the US um, is quite often more difficult. Now, the way you get around that is you license to um, companies that have distribution in those countries. You know, like let's say the company is selling in the US and Canada, but they're also selling in, in Europe. You know, so you're getting that distribution, you know, um, and so that's that's a really simple answer to it. Um, Saeed, uh, I'm just going to answer some of these and, you know, I want to answer two of your questions in a row. I want to get to as many people as possible, but I'll do one more here. You do do not want you do not want to sign a licensing contract in your own name. I got that sentence from the getting in book. That's one of our little booklets that we have. Um, I don't know if we're giving that out still. I think it's on our website somewhere. Um do you mind explaining why? So, yeah, what that's about is, um, and Saeed, I don't know what country you're in, but if you're in the U.S., um, when you, you don't have to file an LLC beforehand, but when you get interest and you do a deal with a company, you you don't want it to be under your name. You want it to be under an LLC or a corporation. So, but if you don't have that LLC or corporation before you do that deal, that's fine. Don't freak out about it. Don't think, oh, well, I've been doing business under my name. I just have my name at Gmail. And it's like, they don't care. So when you get to doing the deal and you get to the contract stage, you say, look, I want to do it under this LLC, Andrew Krauss, whatever, or Saeed Nassab, whatever. And they're like, okay, we don't care. So what it does is it gives you an extra level of, of liability protection. So, but you guys are covered every which, let's talk about that. Every which way till Tuesday and international students, even that much more. Sorry, you guys aren't students of ours, but you're, you're fans. But well, I will say students because we have students around the world. But um, so the first level of protection is they, the, the consumer, like I've had a few people, I've had two students license ladder-related products, obviously a high liability product because people fall from ladders and get hurt. But if you license to a ladder company, they're used to that liability and they have insurance for those types of products, so it's fine. Um, but if, a, if, let's say, somebody falls off this ladder and let's say it's a, a stabilizer at the bottom of the ladder and they want to sue the company, they don't even know you exist. You're invisible. Now, we've had students license products where they put their name on the back of the package or even their picture, but that's like maybe 2% of the deals that our students close where they do that. So they don't even know you exist. And even if they did know you exist, they want to sue the company with deep pockets. So your first level of protection when you're licensing products as far as you being sued is that they don't know you exist. Second level is even if they did, they want to go after the big company, not you. But let's say they did want to go after you. When you do a licensing deal, you want to insist that you're covered under that big company's product liability insurance. And most of the time, they can add you to their product liability insurance, which almost all retailers require anyway, and it doesn't cost them a dime more. So if they can add you to their product liability insurance, which is usually at least a million, if not two, um, 
if somebody did want to sue you, which is going to go up to a big company, not you. I can't guarantee that, of course. But you're also covered under their product liability insurance. Now, another layer, it's getting kind of ridiculous here, is if you did the deal with the company under an LLC, which is very affordable in most states. Some states, it's as cheap as 40 bucks. In California, I think that's probably the most expensive. It's like 800 bucks. In the state of Nevada, where I live, it's about $200 a year. Um, it's adding an additional layer of protection. So if they sue the LLC and there's no money in the LLC, you could just go, okay, I'm just going to let that LLC go by the wayside. And by the way, all this is not legal advice. Please seek the services of an attorney if you're looking for legal advice. Um, so you could let that LLC go by the wayside. And that's another form of protection. Now, on top of that, if you're in another country, what are the chances an American consumer is going to go to uh, United Arab Emirates and try to sue you there personally, the inventor, rather than the company? I mean, so you guys are covered when you license like every which way till Tuesday. But if you do the deal under your own name, you want that additional liability protection that either an LLC or a corporation gives you. And But you can wait until you get into that, oh, I've got a deal on the table now stage because it's a pain in the butt to do all that stuff. It's actually very easy to do an LLC. Corporations a little bit more work. Um, and, and then do it under that company. So Saeed, that's what we're talking about in that booklet. Um, Java says, should an inventor pay tax on royalties? Yeah, you have to pay tax on all income, guys. That would be nice. I mean, God, I think even more people would be inventors if, if, uh, if royalties were completely tax-free. Um, it's going to depend on your tax situation and where you are and what country you're in and, and what state you're in, too, and all that. Like, I'm in Nevada, and Stephen is in Nevada, my business partner. Um, and so in, we don't, in Nevada, there's no state income tax. We just pay federal. There's no state income tax, which is pretty sweet. Um, one, of the, one of the many reasons why I live in Nevada. Um, so it's going to depend on your tax situation. But yeah, there's, royalties aren't tax-free. Um, but your situation is going to depend on who you are. So you got to contact your tax advisor. Um, uh, James says, hi, Andrew. With a new product timeline of 18 months to license approximately. I don't know where you got that 18 months to license. Maybe, I don't know. Is there any way you know of to fast track COVID related products? Yeah, find a potential licensee that wants to launch it really quickly. That's how to fast track it. So as always, you could, you contact all your potential licensees. You don't like overthink what they're going to say because every company is going to say something different. Every company is going to have a different perspective. So, and everybody's company is going to be in a different place. So you need to talk to the company about what their timeline is, what they're going to do. And then you put that all into the contract. So if, if it's really important to you that they launch in 12 months or nine months or whatever it is, you can put that in the contract. But before you do that, talk to them about it, see if that's their plan and it's negotiable. So, um, it, it, the way to fast track it is call every potential licensee, get the deal on the table and see what they're willing to do and negotiate it and then make sure it's in the contract and what the, what you're going to hold them to. Um, sorry, I paged up too quick there. All right. Uh, Wayne, uh, a few of my inventions are on the market, but mine are three to five ways different but still the same genre of product. 
how different do my inventions have to be to not infringe on others? There's no way I can answer that, but I am going to give you an answer anyway in a general way, which I think will be helpful for you, Wayne. But it's all going to depend on what these other uh, patents are or what the protection is on these other products. But here's the deal. Most patents, is, uh, most products aren't patented. Most products are not patented. I'll say that again. So like if you see like eight companies doing this type of product, more or less guaranteed, there's no patent on that. Okay. Because if something is in the market more than a year and nobody protected it and got a patent on it, it's public domain. And so now there might be eight companies making this mm, certain type of product. But then you see one company has got this extra tweak. So that base thing, whatever it is, let's say it's a scraper for a barbecue grill, that's public domain. And particularly one way of figuring that out is go, oh, God, there's like 20 companies that are doing that. That's public domain. Or somebody's not protecting their patent, but it's probably public domain. But then you see one company has got this extra feature, and they're protecting that. They're the only one doing that. So... Um, People ask that, what percentage different does it need to be? It doesn't work that way. It's if, there, if there's patents, which there quite often isn't, what are they claiming in it? What are the claims? And do you violate those claims? So uh, the vast majority of time when our students are concerned about things or they find things, you take a closer look at it and it's not a problem. The vast majority of time. Um, so it's not a percentage different. Uh, that's definitely not what it is. Um, Jim says, I plan to join. When is it sensible time to join InventRight to access services prototype? Uh, my prototype is quasi-developed. Uh, sell sheet, uh, good draft, other question marks. So he's, he's saying if, you, if you're going to do the InventRight coaching, when's a good time? Um, I say, I say any time because the coaches will guide you along with what you're having a problem with, you know? Um, for instance, let's say it's a prototype. Well, I don't have a prototype. I can't start. Coach looks at it and goes, you don't need a prototype. Just do a virtual prototype. It's obvious how this thing's going to be done. So our design studio will do a virtual prototype, throw it into a cell sheet, and you're good. And there's no like major questions. Now, sometimes it, you, know, you need to make a prototype to play with it and see if it's going to be workable. You know? um, let, me, let me fix that. That's bothering me. Uh, there we go. Oh, now I see the chair. Okay, let me fix that. Am I being anal retentive here, guys? I think I am. All right. <laughs> so um, now I got all distracted. Uh, yeah, so maybe, maybe you know, you, you need to prove it to yourself um, that it's going to work. But uh, quite often you can go, oh, no, I know they can make that. I'm having a hard time making a prototype, but I know they can. So you just do a virtual prototype. Um, what else do you say? Sell sheet? That's absolutely not necessary. I mean, I would say 95% of the students that have, vast majority of our students, a huge percentage, don't have a sell sheet when they come to us. Um, but the ones that do, 95% of them, it's not good enough. Um, and we're really picky about that because the sell sheet is your salesperson. So you don't need to be a salesperson. So when you send the sell sheet, it's doing all the selling for you is so important. You want to look at your coach needs to look at it. You need to look at it and you think on it and they need to look at it and go, oh yeah, my customer would want that. Now they might look at it and go, oh, I get it, but nah, not right for us. That's fine, but you can't confuse them. So, um, 
You know, I do not think at all that a new student needs a sell sheet. I don't think they need a prototype. Um, uh, I, if somebody was, I'll even go as far as if somebody's like, well, I'm really open to working on any of these eight products. Great. The coach can help you pick which of those eight products. Now, uh, the vast major, larger majority of our students are like, I got other products, but this is my main one I want to start with. I would say that's a large majority, but we do get a percentage. They're like, oh, I guess people are like, I got 200 ideas, Andrew. I'm like, well, your coach isn't going to go over 200. We'll give you some criteria. Let's get it whittled down to like five. And then let's see if one of those five is going to work. So it could, it could be like, I got a ton of ideas. Now I'm even open to, which is a very small percentage of our students. Um, hey, I just want to do this. I love the licensing business model. And I don't have a particular idea. And I say, oh, the coach can teach you how to study a micro category and then invent for the marketplace. And, and, and I've had, but that, that's a much smaller percentage of our students. Most people come on board like, oh, I got this one idea. This is my burning idea. Or I'm tired of seeing my products come out in the marketplace. And like, I came up with this and then I saw it come out. And then a year later, I saw another product come out. I'm like, I got to start working on this stuff, you know? Um, so I, I think the... I think the main benefit of getting coaching is the the direction and the guidance. And you're not like all by yourself, like going around in circles with your own thoughts. You know, it's like, oh, for this product and the coach is looking at it, they know it. This is the right thing to do. Look for companies here. Do this, do that. And that's huge. And so you could spend forever getting ready. But that's my biased viewpoint. If you want to get a rough sell sheet together or make a prototype or something, that's fine. So that's I think it's a personal choice. Um, thank you, Jim. That was from Jim. Uh, Keith says, uh, I really enjoy these webinars. You're welcome, Keith. It's a YouTube live stream, man. Make it sound cooler. Uh, it's not a webinar. I'm just kidding. Um, Gary Vaughn, Gary, there's a company I'm considering submitting my idea to, and it turns out my IP attorney already has a somewhat of a relationship with them. That's bizarre. Patent attorneys don't have relationships with anybody normally. I'm making a joke, but really being kind of serious too. Is it best to let my lawyer handle the submission for me? Oh, you know, I mean, if you ask your lawyer, I've never met an IP attorney or a patent attorney that's licensed anything, not one. So do you, that's not really now they have a relationship. I don't know what you mean by a relationship. They're doing patent work for them. Um, that's pretty unusual. I would say it might be okay. You could ask them what you think. I don't want them like taking a percentage because you can go directly to any company. You never need to give a percentage to some invention scam company or your attorney for making an introduction or something like that. Um, so that's really, you gotta, you really gotta kind of, I don't know what you mean by relationship. Maybe they did patents for them. Um, that might be okay. Oh, hey, I know this inventor and they have something I think might be a right match for your product line and make an introduction, great. But here's a real question is, are you pushing out to 10, 20, 30 other companies? Are you resting on that one relationship with your attorney? That's not playing the numbers game you need to play. Now you still should do it, you know, go ahead. So. I think it's okay. I don't think they should get much of anything for making the introduction, if you ask me. Kind of depends on how they know them. Um, let's see. Kelvin, what type of documents or prerequisites do I have to get done before calling a company about an idea? 
Okay. That's a good, good question. I like that. A real basic, but a great question. Um, what are the main things you need? You need your sell sheet or video sell sheet. So a sell sheet is a one-page advertisement for your product, and it's going to show them how they're going to sell it. Not, oh, we'll get rich, we'll make money, it's going to be easy to manufacture, none of that crap. It's, it's like what they would show their customer. It's like a magazine ad, you know, if you will. And they, they need to get it like driving down the freeway if you see a billboard. It needs to be that easy to get. Um, so you need that. That's one dot. You, you asked what documents you need, uh, Kelvin. So I like this question. Um, and then there's other things that aren't documents. You need your list of companies. People normally make an anemic list of two or three when you should have 20 or 30. You need your list of companies. Um, we always advise our students to file a provisional patent application. You can file that for 70 bucks. There's some software on our website that's 99 bucks. It's also included with our bootcamp program that will help you file a provisional. Um, now, one thing it's not going to say in there that we always, uh, the, our coaches will guide our students on is you want to, it will help you with how to format it and everything, but 80% of filing a good provisional is just being an invent, inventor and thinking about knocking yourself off and thinking about the other version that's, you know, half as, not half as good, but 70% as good, 90% as good, just as good. And you need to put those variations in there. So you need a sell sheet, you need your list of companies. You need, and you need a uh, provisional patent application. So those are the main things. Um, you don't need business cards. Um, you don't need to start a formal company. Um, you do need an email signature. That's the equivalent of a business card. I mean, you can just get a Gmail address. Uh, do not get a Hotmail address. It's they, they're just a notoriously terrible service. Um, I've had many students that had companies email them back. Then they called them and they said, hey, are you interested? And they're like, what are you talking about? We emailed you three weeks ago. We're interested. You didn't hear back from you. And in their hotmail, it didn't go into their spam, didn't go into promotions. It just went into the ozone. Um, and I'm not a big ad. I'm not like a big uh, Google or Gmail fan, but Gmail is pretty reliable. So, you know, I would recommend using Gmail. And um, was it? This is from Kelvin. So Mama, Mama. Um, so, you know, Kelvin Mama designs at Gmail. There you go. So it's not a document, but um, that's your email address, and you have your email signature at the bottom. Kelvin uh, Mama, sorry if I'm pronouncing your name wrong, product designer, Kelvin Mama designs at Gmail. Um, then you have a phone number. Phone number does not ring to your cell phone with kids screaming on it. It should say, hi, this is Kelvin Mama from Kelvin Mama Designs. Please leave a message. I'll get back to you promptly. And, you know, your friends and family will know who it is, right, because you're using your full name. Um, so I don't know if the AC is working right in here. Let me, let me crank that up. Hold on a second. I have this wireless headset, so yeah, it seems like it is, but it's going to be hot as hell outside. Let's see how hot it is outside, guys. Let me look at my bar. Oh, it's only 104. That's pretty cool for here. Um, I live in Henderson, Nevada, next to Las Vegas, and so we've been having some 115 days. For those of you living in the Midwest or living on the East Coast, um, it's zero humidity. It's not the same as you think, but it still, still sucks. You don't want to be standing out in the sun at 115. <laughs> 104 is not bad, but for some reason, it's not It's not cooling off as much. Um, anyway, uh, let's see. Uh, Raul, hi, Andrew. Is it possible to receive royalties year-round if I create a product for each season in the novelty in industry? 
Sure. Yeah. And so this is this goes to the whole like seasonal thing. So so maybe you have a gardening product or a novelty product or like it's for Valentine's Day or for Halloween or whatever. So you're not going to get royalties year round. You'll get this big chunk during that period of the year, during Valentine's or during Halloween or whatever. And then it's dead the rest of the year. Now, some products aren't dead. They're just a lot lower the rest of the year. Um, so if your goal is to receive year-round royalties and you're do, doing exclusively seasonal products, you could, I've never had this question before. It's a good question. You could license in different seasonal categories to get that. Um, it's hard to judge that. I mean, uh, yeah, it's, it, most products are not seasonal and you're going to get year-round royalties anyway. Um, but it's an interesting question. Yeah, if that's really important to you, uh, the question is, do you want to work in those different? I mean, if like, you work in Halloween, like uh, Halloween, and then you work in Valentine's Day novelty, are those the same companies? Is it even the same industry? Maybe, maybe not. So, but it's a fascinating question. Um, uh, Arthur says, how would you communicate an invention to an event right coach without offending him or her or sacrificing our relationship? For example, if I had an invention that promotes Christianity, but my coach is Muslim. You know, our, our coaches are really cool. I mean, um, we're not we're not judgmental that way. Um, if something is illegal, then that's the only time we'd have an issue. I was our original coach, you know, 20 years ago when we first got started. Now we have 11 coaches. We have 10 and a negotiation coach. And I don't do coaching anymore. But when I was a coach, I had I had I was helping women working on feminine hygiene products. I remember I had this one couple was working on a S&M product. I'm just very neutral about it and I'm analyzing the market. Um, we don't hire people that are easily offended. Um, now we had this one student once that, uh, you know, all our, all our coaches except for two are full-time. We have two coaches that are that are part-time. And one of them, Ryan, he is, he used to be a detective. Now he's a police officer, very high up, like a sergeant. And, and we had this student that presented him a product that had to do with cheating on drug tests. And he's like, really? Really? And I don't know if he knew that Ryan was a full-time police officer, but um, it's like, okay. Um, but I don't think anybody that is one religion or another that is level-headed is going to be offended by another religion. So I, I am not worried about that with our coaches. Um, you know, I, they're, they're really cool people, really, really cool. Every one of our coaches is a former InventRight student. So our way of vetting possible coaches is seeing they're doing an amazing job as a student then later hiring them. So our hiring process is more in-depth than anywhere else. Like in a corporation, you look at their resume – you know, their boss says something. You don't know if they really were like that. But we know what these what these inventors were like because we experienced it firsthand. And um, so we hire, like, super exceptional and invent right former students. Like, I think a couple times ago, we, had, we interviewed 16 exceptional former invent right students and hired one. So we're very, very picky. Um, if anybody would be upset that you had a product for Christianity but their coach was Muslim – you know, they they would be fired because that's not acceptable. Um, you know, you have to be open. Now, if it was something that they were really sensitive about or whatever, but I can't think of a scenario where that happened. Um, 
you know, uh, we would just move you to a different coach. We got plenty of coaches. So that's a fun question. I like that question. Um, so Arthur says, oh, that's the second question, but I'll answer it real quick. Should I protect my T-shirt design on Teespring? If so, can I protect it in bulk? I don't know what Teespring is. Is that one of those websites where you sell your own T-shirts and they just print it for you and ship? I don't know. I don't have time to look it up right now. But um, uh, you, you, you know, automatically when you do things, they're copyrighted. And if you put the TM, you notice it up here, um, it's automatically trademarked as well if you're using it in commerce. Now you got the registered trademark. Actually, reInvent right now is registered, but we went 18 years without registering it and only recently registered it. Um, so that's a long, boring story. But um, so can you protect it in bulk? I don't know what you mean by in bulk, but your copyright, if you're doing designs on T-shirts, your artwork, your sayings, whatever, that's automatically copyrighted. So you can send it to the Library of Congress or you can just put the little C on it. It's your choice. Um, okay, Gavin. Hi, hey, Andrew. Hey, Gavin. Um, I made my prototype out of two things that already exist. Great. I highly recommend doing that. Um, creating a new functioning item for the sell sheet and video purpose. Will companies not just see I've done one plus one and sell benefits? Yeah, it doesn't, you know, sometimes you'll have a cruder prototype and you can see that you, they can see that you hack two things together. Um, sometimes it makes sense for our students. We'll do a virtual prototype and that's more a looks like, but maybe you want to do a video along with it and you're showing it from a distance or you're doing quick cutaways and you're showing functionality. So it doesn't look quite as crude as it would if you're like really focusing on it, but sometimes it's fine. And they, they like, Oh, I get it. And so, you know, and you file a provisional patent and that new functionality is the patent pending. And so don't downplay your ability to take two things, put it together to create new functionality. They're going to, they're, People in corporate America, for the most part, aren't very creative. And they're, they're going to go, wow, that's really creative. You know, so don't downplay that. That's fine. You, you said, will companies not just see, we're just, you're devaluing your value as an inventor, just see that I've done one plus one. Yeah, they'll see you done one plus one and go, cool. You know, now they won't want to license it. You only want to license it. So don't downplay that. It's perfectly fine. Um, uh, Christopher says, uh, ahoy, Andrew. Great seeing you stay energized. Yeah, I try. Um, uh, it's not hard when, you, when you're vibing off so much positive energy and excitement from inventors with their ideas. It always gets me uh, energized after 20 freaking years you know, of doing this. Uh, now I went and paged down too far and I lost my place here. Okay. Uh, Ken says, thanks for the info. Even as a student, he's an event rights student, I pick up a tip or two. Um, cool. Uh, Gary Vaughn, Gary, how do you negotiate a license deal if a company wants to buy your patent flat out? Does this happen often? Um, it's a red flag, to be honest with you, and you never want to go there. Um, I'm exaggerating to make a point. You don't want to bring it up. If they bring it up, say, yeah, I, I can get you a rate, but I think it makes a lot more sense. As you make money, I get paid a royalty. So if you're successful, I'm successful. If you're not, um, 
you're, you only have to pay me royalty on the product that you sell. They will never, ever, I say this on almost every one of these, they will never, ever pay you what it's worth up front. You'll always get more money at, as they sell it. You get a royalty paid quarterly every three months. You do not want to go there. And um, just because they bring it up, sometimes um, it could be because the person you're talking to doesn't understand licensing. It could be because they screwed some other inventor before, like, oh, that's that inventor. They just took $8,000. Like, and we would have been paying them $200,000 over a period of years. You know, uh, it, it's not a good idea. We don't do those deals. Um, now, like I always say on every one of these, because we get this question all the time, if you've started your own business, you're selling product, you got 10,000 units, you got a, you got a website, you got um, tooling, and you've got distribution in 2,000 stores, getting upfront money, hell yeah, because they're kind of buying your company plus doing a licensing deal. But most of our inventors that are licensing, they don't have any of that, and it's not necessary, and you don't want to do all that. You know, So get the money on the back end. It's, an, it's a deal killer to do the upfront thing. And usually what it is is they're trying to see if you're stupid. Um, and you are stupid if you do that. If you, oh, okay, I'll be okay with $8,000. It's like, you know, run the numbers. You got to interview the company about what they can do in the way of volume. And then you run the numbers. You go, oh, crap. Like if they sell this for five years, that's a quarter million dollars. And you're going to take $8,000 because they won't pay you the big money up front ever, not even the big companies. Won't do it. Now, there might be some exception, and if you really, really want to force it, you can say, well, okay, here it is. I don't think that's what makes sense for you guys, and here is the royalty rate that you would pay me as you sell units, you know? But, you, you know, it's just going to – it's not the right vibe, guys. Um, there's a lot of other things that people do wrong in negotiations too. But, you know, you never talk about selling your patent or selling your idea. You want to license it want to rent or lease it you can even explain it to them that way if it's a company that hasn't done a licensing deal before um it's interesting chad what what's the recommended way to set up your licensing contract so that if you die while the contract is in place royalties will continue to be paid to your spouse and family instead of just stopping um yeah you, you just you do that <laughs> you, you specify that in the licensing agreement. There are no rules, guys, of the licensing agreement. It's whatever you put in there. What company would argue that? You know, I think by default, I'm not an estate attorney. So I would think by default, it would automatically default to them, to the spouse. But why not go ahead and cover that in there as well? And and absolutely, you want to, yeah, I would do that. Um Okay, uh, Fred. Yeah, and by the way, guys, type in, if you got some weird uh, handle, type in your first name too. How much time do we have left? We have about 23 minutes left. Okay, I can do, I can talk fast, guys. You know that. So I can answer a lot more questions. Um, Fred, if I have a product that is unique as Spanx or Potpourri, what do you think about doing a small run by myself before attempting the license? So, so here's the deal, guys. Um, no company's going to be impressed that you sold 200 units. It's not going to impress anybody. It actually might hurt you. It's like, well, that's all you're selling? And they're like, they're the type of company that could sell 200,000 units, right? And so, you know, now the one, now there are, there's ups. First of all, it's a lot. It's really hard to do that. 
if you want to sell or give some units away to get testimonials, that can be beneficial. But would I recommend that everybody do that? No. You know, you want it to, you want to show good marketing. So you show them how you're going to sell it. Their marketing managers, they have a gut instinct about these things, you know. And so you doing a small run or people raving about it on Facebook or something isn't going to impress anybody. Testimonials can be beneficial. You know, you get the individuals to sign an NDA. They say they used it. But you only need, like, how many can you fit on a sell sheet? Like four or five at most. So, you know, I find it, it can actually hurt you. Um, I know some of you are venturing your product. And, and then you kind of play it down and you say, well, I've just, been, I've just been testing, you know. And that's not my thing. That's why I'm licensing it to you. But um, some marketing managers will go, oh, really? That's all you're doing? Like, hmm. So I, I generally don't think that you need to do that at all. It doesn't, it doesn't mean you'll get a higher royalty rate or any of that. Absolutely not. Um, it's kind of a too, of a, too much of a general question. Uh, AJ says, I've just signed an NDA with the company after proposing my concept sell sheet. They're very interested in the product because of its uniqueness. Um, any tips on how to close a favorable deal? Um, yeah, talk to them about the product and, and, and move the deal forward. The, the, the subtleties of moving a deal forward is about you're guiding it more than they are. But it's about responding and going back. And so when we help our students with that, you know, they're on with our negotiation coach, Paul, and he's telling them how to reply to an email, what's saying the next phone call. And the average deal from initial interest to closed is three months. Three months of back and forth, email, phone, um, you know, waiting for them to do something, pushing them because they're not doing something. And so that's an awfully uh, broad question. Most inventors, it's, it's too dicey. You'll mess it up. Um, I find that most inventors, when they get those deals on the table, they die. And then you get an attorney involved, they really die. They die real quick because they go, oh, I'm protecting you. And it's like, and they just killed the deal and they still send you a bill. Um, so that's, that's really, really dicey. Um, don't act like a wacky inventor. If you want me to give you some general advice, AJ, is um, be easy enough to work with. doesn't mean you won't disagree with them, but get on the phone and talk to them. Be easy enough to work with. And, and interview them as much as they're interviewing you. Those are basic things to say, but it's extremely important. Those are the interview them as much as they're interviewing you and get on the phone if you haven't talked to them yet. So, um, and usually get asking them up front before they see your sell sheet will kill even them seeing the sell sheet. They'll say, no, I'm not signing your NDA. Um, now, now, it sounds like they sign an NDA after you send them the sell sheet, which is more doable. Um, again, everything I'm saying tonight is not legal advice. Please see the services of an attorney if you want legal advice. Um, uh, Rainflake says, how do you know that your licensee is quoting accurate sales numbers? You don't, and they don't either. Nobody can predict how much of the product they would sell. So you're setting minimum guarantees where they have to sell a minimum amount, and they're, but they're going to pay you a royalty on whatever they sell. Oh, now I'm reading into it. If you're a little paranoid, maybe what you're thinking is that, um, that 
they're lying about how much they're selling so they don't have to pay you royalties on it. That's probably what you're you're getting at. So in every licensing contract, you have an audit clause so you can audit them. Um, now, that's not something that you want to do unless you really suspect things. I mean, you could talk to salespeople. You can see how many stores they're in. You can kind of see how fast it's going off the shelf. You can kind of police it a little bit if you're a little concerned about it. Now, if you do audit them, that's not good for a relationship, but the, you put in a contract for a reason. Um, and usually what we usually do is if it's off more than 5%, they have to pay for that audit where you're paying a accounting firm to come in and audit that. And it's pretty easy to track because it's what they sold to the retailers for. So they can see it's pretty easy to track and they can see that. Um, now, if it's not off by more than 5%, you have to pay for the audit. So you're going to have to eat it. And I think that's perfectly fair. Um, but we don't, I don't know of a single student of ours that's ever audited a licensee. Um, I don't think I've ever seen that happen. So these are, there's, I think there's too much distrust from inventors of companies. Um, I know there's all companies aren't honest out there, but I think most of them are. And that's been our experience. Um, but, you know, we, if, if we weren't all concerned about it, we wouldn't tell you to put it in the contract, which we always do. Um, Susie, my idea is a cross between two products on the market. Would you contact both types of sellers to pitch the product to? Yeah, and maybe even a third. Without knowing what the product, Susie, as I can't tell. Um, but one thing that if what I'll say is you're not just contacting companies making the exact same thing. It's like they're in that space. They may, their competitors may be selling something, maybe four or five of their competitors, but they're not in it, but they're in adjacent products. And you're like, they might look at your product and go, oh, you know, we never wanted to get into that because everybody's selling kind of the same thing. But yours is kind of unique. Now we want to get into it. So people make the mistake of thinking they need to contact only companies that are more or less making something very close to their product. And that is a giant mistake. Your list will get really small if you do that. So thank you for the great questions because you gave me an opportunity to say that, which you guys need to hear. Um, uh, <laughs> okay, it's funny. Uh, uh, Michael, is it possible to license a patent to a company? Yeah. But again, like I said earlier, uh, I think I said this. I don't know if I was talking to a vendor earlier or if that was on the live stream because I talk to so many people every day. Ideally, the licensing contract is not dependent on a patent. That They need to pay you regardless of any patents that issue or don't. So can you make it? Can you license a patent to a company? Absolutely, you can. But what you're really licensing is the benefit of your product, not your patent. And it's stronger if you're not licensing your patent. So if something goes awry with the patent, they still have to pay you regardless, you know, or if they do some variation, you can you set up contracts to protect yourself that way. But again, when you get into negotiations and contracts, it gets more difficult. I'm going to say this, you know, I get so many people that are fans of ours and they call and they say they're interested in the program and they say, well, Andrew, you guys, your guys' YouTube show is so great. You know, I'll just come back. And I'll sign up when I get into a deal. And it's extremely, extremely rare that those people ever come back and sign up. And so it, it, the guidance that a coach gives you on, you know, making sure your sell sheet's good, your list of companies is good, your research is good, you're filing your PPA, you're approaching companies right, you're saying things right, you know, all that. 
gets you into that stage where you got interest from a company and you do those things wrong, you don't have a deal on the table. Some people say, well, I want to save the money. I don't want the coaching until I'll just wait until I get a deal on the table. And I almost never do they get a deal on the table, those people that say that, because they're not doing the right things to get the deal on the table. So um, I, I wish that, you know, the stuff that we would do would be enough. I mean, I wish we could just have a website with videos in it. And, you know, people call me up and say, hey, and I'm on the beach with my, I'm way far, I'm about four and a half hours from the beach, but on the beach with my wife and my seven-year-old daughter. And they're like, hey, Andrew, I just licensed my fifth product. Just been watching the training videos on your site. And, and I would be in heaven. You know, I love our employees. Our company is amazing. You know, we support like 25 employees and their families. But it would be easier if I didn't have to have employees and we could just provide education. It doesn't freaking work. If without a coach guiding you, oh, no, why are you worried about that? Don't do that. That's a waste of time. Oh, that company said that. Don't freak out. Do this. Do that. You know, that is something that only a coach one-on-one -on -one can address. Oh, for your product, do this. You know, and so I wish that we could just offer a membership site with videos and people be licensing products. We started out that way 20 years ago. It didn't freaking work. And people were raving about us. You guys are the greatest. You know, I understand this stuff. You guys are so fantastic. I was checking in with people. A lot of people weren't doing the work. People that were doing the work, they weren't getting deals on the table. And Steve and I talked and I said, dude, this isn't working. I'm going to be our first coach. And I was our first coach. And that's when we started you know, our students started doing licensing deals, not when we just offered the education. So um, that is not a sales pitch for coaching. That's just the truth. You know, that, does that mean that you guys can't watch this free live stream and watch our YouTube videos and you can't license a product? You absolutely could, but you will mess up a whole bunch of stuff, guaranteed, even with all these videos. And you'll overthink things and do different things wrong. But if you're really sharp and you're really paying attention, you're adjusting constantly, um, you can do this. I, I don't, but, but it's, it's pretty rare um, that I see fans license stuff as opposed to our students because you're just not getting that additional help. Um, let's see. Uh, doo -doo -doo. community best oh okay thank you Christopher He's saying Christopher saying thanks for the timely information to the innovation community Andrew I like innovation community I like that um, best hour of my week is Wednesdays at five thank you that's really cool um, we do so much free education of inventors um, we are not afraid of giving a lot of information away for free and I'm very proud of that um, it starts out with the roots from me running Inventor Association in Silicon Valley, Stephen being a speaker, never really having met another inventor. He saw that I really understood inventors. And, and, he, and I'm like, yeah, dude, and they really like you. Like they're understanding licensing by listening to you. And we teamed up and here we are 20 years later, fed students in over 65 countries, students licensing products all the time. Um, really, really proud of that. But We'll always be doing a lot of free education. So hopefully it, it's really helpful to you guys. Um, uh, doo -doo, doo -doo, doo -doo. Uh, Will says, what do you offer students? I ramble long enough on that and how to become a student. So go to inventright.com, click on coaching, Will, and you can see more info about that. You can click on the contact us page and book an appointment with uh, Sylvia, Eli, or myself. Um, 
on that contact us page and you can talk to us. So, but I don't want to talk about the coaching anymore. I was, our, our, we don't like to push and sell oversell things and stuff. We like to give a lot of free information for free, uh, free information for free. That's a little repetitive. Um, uh, Spunky Monkey says, InventRight was worth every penny. Oh, that, thank you. I would, I would have made so many mistakes like I did initially without a coach. Y'all are the best. No, thank you. I don't have your real name, Spunky Monkey, so maybe you type that later um, so I know who you are. Um, <laughs> Chad says, I think we'd rather see a background of some some rolling waves in on a long, gorgeous beach somewhere. I think on Zoom there's a background like that, but I'm on uh, I'm on YouTube. I don't think I can do backgrounds on here, but yeah, probably something besides this would be more exciting. I'll see if I can pull that off, guys. I think I need additional software for that. Um, James says, follow up to a prior call. Thanks for the info, Andrew. I got my 18-month timeline from one of Steven's videos on what to expect. That's what I thought when licensing a product. Yeah, I talk about that frequently. Like people think like you're going to license a product. You're going to be like the money's going to be coming in like in two months. It doesn't work like that. I mean, it takes some three to nine months to launch the product. And then you got, you know, you get paid your royalties quarterly. Um, and so that's an, another three months. So just right there, like let's say it takes some nine months to launch, you get paid your royalties quarterly. You had three months to nine months. That's a year. So I think Stephen was being conservative and saying 18, which I would agree with. There's a lot of situations. I think a lot of our students are, we got a lot of students closing deals right now. And I could see some of those deals, like taking them an additional three, four, five months to launch the product because of the whole, uh, can, what's going on right now in the environment. Um, and I've been told on YouTube, you're not supposed to say those words because it will change your listing or you'll get less hits or something like that. Um, I don't know if that's true, but so that's why I'm not calling the what's going on right now by name. Um, oh, Vic says, last question. Can you give me any information pertaining to companies and how to find out if they have lawsuits against them? Um, yeah, I mean, potential licensees. I mean, I would type in the name of the company space lawsuits or the name of the company space complaints and see what you can find. I think that's a pretty, I'm sure there's some legal way of doing it too. Um, but I think like if you have 30 companies, do you need to do a legal background check on those 30 companies? That's kind of a waste of your time. Like, you know, if you did a quick check, company name, space, lawsuits, okay. But if you contact 30 companies and four are getting back to you with some interest on, okay, check out those four. So I think that keeps it a little bit more practical and definitely check them out before you do a deal with them. Um, Samuel, hey, Andrew, I'm working on a board game and one way to, to win is by points. Should I create a score sheet or is that not important and have the company make one? Um, yeah, I mean, if, if it's a board game, I mean, gosh, you could pay a graphic designer 15 bucks on Fiverr or something to make a nice looking score sheet, you know, but um, you got to figure out, Samuel, what you're going to send with your, your board game and how you're going to represent it. Are you going to show a video showing the gameplay, all those sort of things? 
So without knowing more information, I can't answer it specifically. But um, I think what you want to sell when you're selling a board game, are you selling the fun factor? Is it intellectual? What is it? You want to sell the, the fun factor for the most part, the play factor. They need to see that interaction, you know. And so whether or not you have the specific score sheet is a detail. It's a minute detail. It's not the most important thing at all. Um, let's see. I don't understand this. Christopher, should a PPA and or a patent description, the visual appeal or fashion benefit or uniqueness? Christopher, that's just a random <laughs> collection of words. I have no idea what that means. I don't know what that means, man. I just don't know. <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> I'm, we're laughing with you, Christopher, not at you. So, um, and, and don't get upset if I don't have time to answer your question. If you type it in real quick at the bottom, okay, I'll page down and I'll look at you. You can rephrase the question. Um, God, there's a lot of questions here. Um, I'm going to just jump around and find some of the random ones. Uh, okay, let's find something simple everybody can benefit from. Uh <laughs> Anthony says, hey, Andrew, is there any way you can look at my sell sheet and give some feedback? Uh, man, when we, when we help our students with figuring out their sell sheet, it's multiple hours of time doing that. So I, there's, I, you know, I, I, can't, I don't half-ass anything anymore. Um, not that we ever did, but that's why we ask our students to go all in or nothing. So, you know, I give you a little here, a little there. It just makes you dangerous. And I don't I want our students' sell sheets to be kick-ass. And I can give you a little bit of feedback, you know, but for the most part, like, you, I see it, I tell you it sucks, I give you a few tips, and you're going to fix those things, and it's still going to suck because you didn't. Now, I might, you might get lucky, and I tell you to fix a few things, and it's, it's a little bit better, but I, I don't want you to create something half-ass. And that takes, it's time-consuming. Like, if I would need to spend an hour with you to give you proper feedback. At least I need to understand the product. I need to ask you a lot of questions about other products in the marketplace, blah, blah, blah. And, and then we attach the, attack the sell sheet. So no, we, I can't do that for free. I know we do a lot of stuff for free, but I can't do one-on-one -on -one stuff for free. Um, so, uh, Let's see. Let's see if um, Christopher. Oops, no worry. <laughs> Should I? I hate to, to joke about somebody and then not give them a chance. Oops, no worry. Should a PPA or patent description include the visual appeal, fashion benefit, or uniqueness? Great. Thank you, Christopher. It's very articulate. Um, should the PPA or patent description include the visual appeal, fashion benefit, or uniqueness? Uh, no. It, it wanna, you want to include, you know, so. Sell sheets or video sell sheets are including the marketing, and it's 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 like you know if it's a fashion appeal, it's got to be the right colors, right angle, you know you're showing it working, and and you want all that. That's not important. PPAs can be boring as hell, you know. And so the visual, if you includes the visual appeal or fashion benefit or uniqueness, fine, but it's not important because that's not what you're protecting. And with patents, you're protecting functionality, so you're showing that hinge. It hinges here and you're showing it and then you're you got the description up here and you're saying see 
figure five and it's showing it down there. So it can be boring. It's so much the opposite of a marketing presentation. So um, thank you. That's, that's, so it, but it can include that fashion stuff, but it's not necessary because in a PPA, you could scribble with crayon and throw in it, and they won't reject it. It doesn't matter what you send um, as far as them rejecting or not rejecting it. But if anybody needs to come back and look at it, you, you, you want it to be well done. So you can have that extra stuff in there and you should be fine, but it's not, it's, you're not missing anything if you leave that out. It's okay. You're protecting the functionality of it. Um, 608, questions for maybe two more. I talk so fast, I could probably do two. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, let's see. I'm eating up all this time by trying to find one. Um, uh, how this is the easy one? Giselio, uh, Giselio. Well, it's Giselio music, but um, so I don't know if it's the first name, but kind of a cool name. Um, how do I sell toys to Disney or other companies? So Disney doesn't make most of their toys. They license the rights to other toy companies to throw Mickey Mouse or cars or my daughter's into Descendants is a big thing. She's just about to turn eight on July 30th. And so, you know, if you want to put Descendants on your T-shirt or a coffee, well, coffee mug doesn't make sense, on another product, um, then you Disney licenses other companies the right to, like, I think my daughter wanted a Descendants dress. One of the characters, a certain dress that one of the characters wears. So if companies making costume stuff for, for little girls, um, they could license that uh, and di they would have to pay Disney a royalty to do that descendants dress it needs to comply with a certain style sheet. So most of the time you're for Disney, for example, you're not licensing to Disney you're licensing to Disney licensees. So now what's happening there is uh, that company that's making that descendants dress is paying Disney a royalty and you a royalty. And you're usually going to get a small royalty because of it. And it's kind of like brand licensing. And so, but you're okay with that because God, like every little girl right now is watching Descendants and, and you're going to sell more. So that's perfectly okay. Um, so, uh, yeah, so how do you sell licensing other companies? Yeah, you just like anybody else. You do a sell sheet and you show it, you know, and you show the benefit of the product with a one-page advertisement we call a sell sheet. Um, Maybe you can find some videos on our YouTube channel about sell sheets. You know, I think, you know, usually when we have done some videos about sell sheets, like Steve and I will like just grab some sell sheets like at the last minute. I don't think they're the best sell sheets because the best ones are private. We can't show them. And we'll just give some examples. But I think we have some videos. I haven't gone back and looked because I don't watch my own videos. I mean, God, I don't want to because too many of them. I think we have over 500. And you could type in sell sheets on the YouTube channel and see what we have to say about that if you have no idea what a sell sheet is. Um, but again, most people, when they do sell sheets on their own, um, at least the ones I've seen, they're just not good enough. You know, it's, it's like all our coaches are like little mini advertising executives and they're tweaking it and they're really particular. Um, and then you make it look beautiful. So it's, it's, it's a hard thing to do, but 
it's a skill that we teach our students to do so that when they leave us, they're like, I don't need you guys anymore on that. I know how to make sell sheets now. But you need to get that real life experience with real products. Everything we do is experiential learning. So there is no quizzes and tests. It's you working on your project from day one and you're working on your project and you feel it, you experience it at every level, including talking to companies, negotiations, getting into companies, sell sheets, list to companies, filing your PPA. It's the only way inventors freaking learn licensing is by doing it. Like you don't learn to be a blacksmith by reading a book. You know, you, you, you bang out horseshoes and some your apprentice and there's some master behind you going, no, hit it like this, hit it like that. That's what InventRight does. It's a weird way of explaining it, but that's what we do. Um, and, and it's funny. I see I've, I've had students that are marketing. Um, they're, they do marketing for a living. And I'm sure they do good marketing pieces for other people's stuff. And they see their own stuff. And it's off because it's so personal. Now, not 100%, but a very high percentage of them say like, eh, you're, you're you're not seeing something here and they might see it with somebody else's product because they kind of have blinders on the longer you've been thinking about your product the more you kind of have blinders on about it and you're not thinking outside the box now you come up with a new product and you're thinking outside the box but i find that the longer an inventor thinks about their product they start to lose their creativity with the marketing and with all that stuff and then a lot of you you know, you don't do marketing for a living and you just you don't have those skills tweaked in yet. And you don't have the you're afraid to reach out to companies. You don't have those sales skills. I don't think what we guide people to do is sales because the sell sheet does the selling for you. But people that have done sales aren't afraid of reaching out. So they have that advantage. And a huge percentage of our students have never reached out, tried to sell anything in their life. And that's why I would tell you if you have um, I'm going to do this with my daughter. My daughter's just turning eight. Any teenager or early 20-something, I would say teenager, they all have to have a crappy sales job. Everybody in life should have had a crappy sales job. Now, we have inventors that never had that crappy sales job. And so their first introduction to ever trying to sell anything to anybody is trying to license their product. And that adds an additional level, but they got their coach there to guide them through it. So... Um, uh, Ronald says, do you offer sales assistance for a patent or product? No, we never represent inventors. Our, invent our students always keep 100% of any deal that they ever do. And we're asking you to do the work, but we're guiding you. Where You'll never find a company that does it for you that's legit. I'm sorry. I don't know of one. Um, there's a ton of companies out there. The Patent Trademark Office calls them invention promotion companies, and the Federal Trade Commission calls them that too. I have never personally, I've never said anything bad about any company in particular. would never do that. Never want anybody to sue me. But I've never personally met an inventor in 20 freaking years, in the 14 years I ran my inventor association, that has had an invention promotion company license a product for them. Not one. So what does that tell you? That says a lot. Um, so don't look for a company to do this for you. <clears throat> you guys can do this. You guys can make your list of companies. You can make your sell sheet. You can reach out to companies. I know I told you it's a lot harder to do it on your own. But if you're really dead broke and you can't afford our coaching, what do you have to lose? Don't think all these companies are out there to rip you off. You're not. So get that experience. Is it going to be harder on your own? Of course it is. But you should freaking do it. Do it. It's part, and I'll close this out. I love closing these things out. Coming up with ideas is part of who you are. 
I would say 95 to 90% of you listening right now. So do it, get it out there. You know, the fact that you're listening to me and ramble for an hour shows that you've reached this point where you're like, I'm ready to do this. You know, you're tired of just thinking about ideas and contemplating them and going in circles with patents and prototypes and stuff. You're ready to take action. So freaking do it, whether it's with us or without us or with somebody else, but you got to do it. So I wish you guys uh, much success. And uh, my tagline is always take care and keep inventing. So guys, take care uh, during this crisis. Um, be, be careful, stay healthy. And uh, with licensing, you don't need to go anywhere. You never need to leave your home. Uh, and so get to it and start working on it. And watch our videos on our channel. And if you haven't subscribed, click on the, click on the, um, click on the like button and, and click on the subscribe button. We just hit 40,000 subscribers. We'd like to get to 100,000. That would be great. So do that to help us if you found this helpful. All right. See you guys. Bye.